we had a lot of fun, or at least I, I had a lot of fun kind of coming, <laughs> coming up with the idea and, and kind of implementing it and seeing, you know, gosh, this hasn't been done before. Think of all the implications this has. Hello and welcome to Department 12, an IO Psych podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ben Butina. Dr. Asia Eaton is an assistant professor at Florida International University. She was trained as an experimental social psychologist and now works as a core member of the faculty in the developmental psych and IO psych programs at FIU. Ryan Jacobson is Asia's student working toward a PhD in IO psych. As this episode airs, Ryan is working on his proposal, getting ready to defend it, and moving toward a career in talent management and talent development. Our story begins with Ryan and Asia brainstorming research topics. Oh, gosh. Uh, Doctor, do you remember when we were we were in your office? We were trying to come up with something for my theme interest to my look at sexual harassment reporting. That was not necessarily reporting, but I knew culture and sexual harassment were two were two topics that I was interested in delving in. And from there, I remember you had mentioned something about moderate versus severe harassment. So the severity. And then I, I think I took our conversation there and uh, kind of updated it and refreshed very little had been done on coworker perpetrators, mm-hmm. uh, and I, shockingly, despite the fact that uh, the majority of uh, sexually harassed incidents are perpetrated by coworkers, it's the most prevalent problem. But I was just shocked to see so little done done on that. Uh, there were a number of studies correlating various types of policies to sexual harassment outcomes, but none that actually demonstrated causality. And, and as I said before, I have an experimental social psych background. Right. So you know, even longitudinal studies can show, for example, that uh, X preceded Y, but they can't demonstrate causality. Uh, so we thought it was pretty straightforward to run some experiments looking to see if making a particular type of organizational policy around sexual harassment salient could alter um, people's thinking and um, yep. attitudes. And mm-hmm. rep- because mm-hmm. I mentioned in the paper, um, the correlational studies have shown, for example, that as zero tolerance type sexual harassment policies are implemented, um, incidents of harassment decrease. But that could be for a million and one reasons other than uh, being caused by the policy change. Right. So it could be a regression to the mean. It could be changes in leadership uh, that right. happen simultaneous with the policy change. Um, it could be changes in the way that harassment is measured from before and after the policy. So we thought it was a pretty important applied question to ask, can we do policies actually change Mm -hmm. uh, people's thinking about sexual harassment? Every year, PSYOP surveys its membership to find out what IO psychologists think the top 10 workplace trends will be for the upcoming year. This year, the top trend is addressing sexual harassment in the workplace, which should surprise exactly no one. When I read about Ryan and Asia's study, that's what jumped out at me. It provides concrete, specific guidance on what organizations should do to address that problem. But let's get back to the study. 
When we began to think about how an organizational policy might influence um, behavior around sexual harassment in the workplace, we were drawn to um, schema theories of social cognition, which basically posit that um, a schema or mental framework can change how you um, construe, remember, and behave in a situation because it gives you general directions for what is acceptable and unacceptable, what is uh, normal and abnormal. And it seems that uh, sexual harassment policies would function in much the same way. The first thing we did, actually, was provide people with one of three policy types. Uh, Exposed them to read about an organization. Um, And among other things, uh, the organization had a particular policy. And the policy was either zero tolerance towards sexual harassment. It was the standard obligatory EEOC statement that you see on job ads and employment websites everywhere. Um, Or there was no mention of of any policy around sexual harassment. It was after that that we gave people one of two vignettes uh, describing an instance of workplace sexual harassment. One was a form of sexual harassment that we had pretested to be seen as moderate or middle of the road. Um, it wasn't uh, wasn't over the top, uh, but it was you know obviously problematic. Uh, we also matched these vignettes not only for psychological definitions of moderate and severe harassment, but we also tried to match legal definitions of what would be what would constitute moderate and severe sexual harassment. And the, the moderate version was a form of hostile environment harassment, uh, and the severe version was a form of quid pro quo harassment, where an individual is um, yeah. actually asked to perform sexual favors uh, in, in exchange for some workplace benefit. So the participants viewed one of three kinds of policy statements, either a zero-tolerance policy, a standard EEOC statement, or no policy at all. Then the participants were presented with these vignettes that describe either moderate or severe sexual harassment, and they were asked to imagine that they had just seen this harassment taking place, and then to indicate how likely they were to report what they saw. Now, I can practically hear you, dear listener, asking about a million questions about the study, and one of them, no doubt, is about the sample. So in terms of the first study, we had, it was all students. So before we actually used this, um, used the policy and the theory, applied it to actual an employee's sample, we wanted to first establish that there was an effect in a uh, student sample first, just because easier to collect, et cetera. So we had a sample of, of undergrads at, at the university down in Florida, and um, we assessed, you know, we had them go through the, the experimental data where they run the vignettes we talked about and ran their likelihood of reporting after they first read the policy on this fictitious website, organizational website, where they hypothetically were instructed to think of them uh, think of themselves as a coworker of and react to the either moderate harassment vignette that they read, or if they were assigned to the severe harassment, which is just a sexual coercion, straight up quid pro quo, very salient type of harassment both uh, under the law and robustly identified as very serious by individuals consistently by research, either one of those two. And then they gave their uh, all their outputs in terms of their hypothetical, if they were an employee, how likely would they be to report to the organization with the webpage that they read uh, the policy on? So that was the employee uh, or the student sample. In terms of the employee sample, that we we had already established the results there. We applied and, and got actual 
professional HR professionals yeah. in a uh, large public institution to uh, to help us out in actual actual HR uh, script, uh, scripts, actual pieces from their HR policy manual on sexual harassment to develop the three organizational policies. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we actually use their own words to develop the three policies in the sex study. As I mentioned earlier, I was interested in this study because it seemed to be providing employers with specific concrete guidance. So I asked Asia to pretend that I was a CEO and that I had asked her, you know, what what is it that your research found? What should I be doing differently? So two things of major importance. One is uh, if you want bystanders at your organization, and everyone is a potential bystander to sexual harassment, if you want them to feel comfortable in reporting harassment that they observe, you need to implement an explicitly zero-tolerance policy. People's reporting of both moderate and severe forms of sexual harassment are um, higher when an organization has an explicitly zero-tolerance policy than when it has the standard EEOC policy or when there's no salient policy. And it has to be salient. Let me make that clear. That yes. Just stick it in your manual and, and never talk about it again. It, it needs to Which be... Which happens way too often. Way too often. So that's number one, is you need a zero-tolerance policy to encourage reporting of various types of sexual harassment. The second finding, which uh, we didn't really play up in the manuscript, is that there is little meaningful difference between that standard EEOC policy and having no policy at all. Hmm. Um, And it makes sense in a way. Um, because being an equal opportunity employer just means that you are not going to disobey labor laws and the EEOC's anti-discrimination guidelines. Uh, To say that it is the bare minimum doesn't even get at how paltry that kind of a policy is. I also wanted to know what the hardest part of the project was. But the most challenging part of it actually was finding uh, an organization that uh, after – you know, being transparent as possible. I, I'm a very transparent person, uh, sometimes to a fault, <laughs> but I try to be very uh, upfront about things. And so when I would go around look, um, looking for an organization uh, for an employee sample for study two, after we had uh, found, found this effect with uh, our first student sample, uh, a lot of organizational uh, leaders and managers uh, – that I talked to would start off very interested and we'd talk and they, they were almost ready to do it. I've had one that actually, t- I sent him the link to do it. And I think he finally read what was in it. And, uh, he sent it back and his excuse, um, his, his, the reason was uh, sur- survey fatigue, um, uh, you know, kind of, kind of uh, understandably. So, I mean, it is a very touchy subject and I think organizations uh, are very, uh, careful about who they give that information to, so that actually finding and, and uh, attaining a um, a large enough sample size it, uh, that would allow us to implement the experiment was it was pretty challenging, but it was actually kind of fun, and I actually made some interesting connections along the way. So, so often we read a study in a journal somewhere, and it's this cold, bloodless, pristine kind of thing. But when you pull back the curtain on any of these studies, you find a struggle, a struggle to design a study that has real meaning and purpose, a struggle 
to recruit a sample in the messy world that we hope to generalize to. And what do Ryan and Asia have to show for this struggle? Well, in my opinion, they've published a study that's hugely relevant right now and one that's useful in the real world. It's not just about theory building or getting someone tenure. Real people's lives are going to be better because of this study. The net amount of human misery will be reduced because of this work, and I think that's something they should be proud of and something we should all aim for. I've included a link to the study itself, links to profiles for Ryan and Asia, if you want to reach out to them, and a few more links as well. Thanks for listening, and talk to you next time. 